0: Just a little mood music to get us going this morning We're talking about irresponsibility and it's kind of a love song there from a remake of a Frank Sinatra song that highlights irresponsibility and how attractive that that is right and uh, it's kind of funny because in our culture we really do make light of being irresponsible We make light of this whole issue and oh it's kind of it's kind of just the way we are and um, but we've been looking in detail. Uh, at some principles drawn from the scripture. And uh, we've looked at two separate passages so far, really trying to get a handle on this area. And just to review a few things um, that we've looked at, we've looked at how we were all created to be responsible. Every single one of us, God has assigned to be uh, managers. So he's made us to be dispos- responsible, and he's also uh, put inside of us uh, a sense of fulfillment. We, we experience fulfillment when we're actually handling our responsibilities well. And any time that we're irresponsible, that eventually becomes someone else's responsibility. Any time I drop something, I let go of responsibility that I have, somebody else has to come along and pick up the pieces for me. And we saw that in the scriptures that we looked at specifically in the first week out of Genesis. But then last week we looked at a principle that drives home this whole thought. It's out of Galatians where we learned that every one of us reaps what we sow. There's a principle in Galatians chapter 6 that just says we all reap what we sow. A man reaps what he sows. We get in line with what we put into life. And we learn that we reap later in life. It's not always immediate. Most of the time it's not immediate. And we learn great. we reap greater in life. Sometimes we sow the wrong kinds of things and we reap them later and much greater than we think we ought to. And... So we, we talked about how you can leverage that principle for good. Like if you'll sow into the right kinds of things, if you'll invest in your family, if you'll invest the right ways in the way that you use your money, if you invest your spiritual life in the right ways, you'll also reap greater. It'll come later, but you'll reap greater. And so you can leverage this principle. And today what we're going to do is look at another aspect of responsibility. And we're going to look at a story that you may not have heard before. It's in the book of Joshua. Joshua which is the sixth book of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can flip to Joshua. we we'll also have the, the verses here up on the screen. But um, this story is going to address three different groups of people. The first group is this. The first group is this passage really gets at a group of people who are very religious. This is the group of us who are very religious and who have a tendency to hide behind our prayers. We're, we're spiritual. And sometimes what we do is we mask our irresponsibility with our prayers, and we recognize, I've got to get a hold of this certain area, like my family life or my finances. Or, and we're, we're not handling it well. And what do we do? We say, I'm going to pray about that. You know, I know I need to do better, so I'm going to pray about that. And we, we focus on um, praying and not doing anything. We just identify the issue and we say, I'm going to pray about that. And um, it's almost a joke somewhat in, in the Christian culture, because I've heard that a lot. You'll ask somebody a question, oh, I'm going to pray about that. And you're like... That wasn't really, some of these things aren't optional. And, uh, but there's this whole issue of, I'm just going to pray about it. So that's the first group that this passage addresses. The second group is, is for those of us who have misguided compassion. Misguided compassion. Um, you're a very compassionate person, but you apply compassion incorrectly. You see a person who's acting irresponsibly, and rather than holding him accountable to it, you say, Oh, if you knew his family life, or you knew his upbringing, or you understood, you know, these things in their life, then then, you know, this is why he is or she is the way that they are. And out of our misguided compassion, we make excuses. And so they continue to suffer. They're never held accountable for their irresponsibility. And we, in turn, suffer if we're connected to them. And what we don't realize is our misguided compassion can often facilitate other people's irresponsibility. We just continue to allow people to carry out this this lifestyle. So that's the second group that this passage gets at. And the third group is this. Is anyone who feels that, is, that you are reaping what another person has sown in life? Maybe it's your father, your mother, your husband, wife, another co-worker, someone else who's connected to you. You feel like you're reaping some things. You're experiencing th- some things because somebody else did something irresponsibly in the past and, and you're paying a price for it. We're going to look at that as well. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6, and just a little bit about Joshua. Joshua was the leader of the people of Israel, of God's people. And he, he took the reins after a guy named Moses. You're familiar with the story of Moses. He led God's people out of Egypt to where they were held captive. And, and Joshua is the one that was going to lead God's people to cross over the Jordan River and to take the promised land. In in very much of a military sense, they were going to um, take over places where other people lived Wipe them out and take take these areas. And when you hear these stories in the Old Testament, it's kind of uh, for for modern people. When we read this with our modern eyes and we see God directing people to kick others out of the land, we think, you know, I don't really want God to be that way. Um, that's not very loving. And so I want to give you a little bit of history so that it'll put into context why this is all going on. Um, About 650 years. Now, this is a lot of history and background, but I I feel like this is actually helpful. Sometimes I go on these contextual journeys and then later I realize that may not have been that helpful, but I hope this will be. Um, But 650 years before this happens, before Joshua's story right here, God told a man named Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham would become the father of the nation of Israel Later, eventually, um, and this was hard for Abraham to really understand because Abraham didn't have any sons. He was old; his wife was old. And God said, "I'm going to make you into a great nation." So look up at the stars of the sky. He says, "You see all these stars? If you can count them, this is how big your family's going to be. It's just going to be this huge family. All these families are going to come from you." Well, God, in his old age and his wife's old age, his wife was barren; she wasn't able to have any kids. God makes it so that she could conceive a child, who's named Isaac, right? And Isaac goes on, has a son, and then there's another son. So there's Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob has sons. And this this plan, God's promise, begins to unfold. But God said something to Abraham early on before any of this happened. And he said, you're going to be the father of a new nation. And then there's a passage out of Genesis 15. It's not on your screen, and but it does explain some of why God was um, kicking people out of their land and, and sending in his people to conquer different areas. Here's what it says. He's saying, In the future you're going to be this great nation. He says, The Lord said to him, this is Genesis fifteen, thirteen, if you'd like to look this up. It says, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. He's saying, You're going to go somewhere else. You're going to leave this place. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for four hundred years. That place is Egypt. He's telling them, this is about what's this is about to happen to you guys. You're going to be enslaved in Egypt. Then verse fourteen he says, But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves. And after, afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, Abraham, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, this is the key verse, verse 16 says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. Okay, He's going to bring them full circle back to the promised land. And he says, for the sin of the Amorites, this is a, this, is a, this is a different group of people, not the Israelites, the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure and he's saying there's something that has to be accomplished with this group of people and god was essentially saying i'm giving the amorites this other group of people that is occupying that will be occupying this land time to repent time to turn away from some of the things that they're doing and so i'm going to take you all the way on this journey you're going to eventually land back here and in that time period i'm giving this other group of people time to turn away from the, the way that they do life and so for hunt for 400 years God's people were in Egypt in captivity, and then God leads them out through um, through Moses' leadership, and they begin to take the promised land. And there's a lot of bloodshed as they come back into uh, the promised land. And again, we read this stuff and we think, but that doesn't seem like it's in line with God. I don't feel comfortable with God being as uh, violent, or I, you know, I thought God was supposed to be loving. But what you have to understand when he says the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure it's these pagan cultures that were there were so pagan. They were so extreme. And some of the things that they did were just despicable. And it was a disgrace to, to humanity, to mankind. Um, some of them sacrificed their own children to pagan gods. Some of them did detestable things to men and to women. And, and verses we really couldn't even read. In mixed settings, you could read about it in the Old testament, and so, because of all that God was saying i'm trying to give them time so they can turn away from the way that they're doing life and so God brings his people back to the promised land to take back the land and God says to, to his people, "You need to go in, take control of this place, in you know defeat them in battle, don't mix with the people don't don't try to." intermingle with them and marry with them don't keep any of their stuff don't learn any of their ways of living you need to come in and be an isolated group because you're going to do something new i'm going to do something new through you and so the first city that they that they cross the jordan and reach is the city of jericho and joshua joshua leads god's people to defeat the city of jericho and there's this unusual battle strategy that God gives them that involves music and marching and shouting. And, and one day they all shout and then the walls come down. You may have sung a song about that, but it's an unusual thing because God was trying to show them that he can do the miraculous with, with or without, you know, our mighty power, with or without our help. He just had a great plan that he was working out and Joshua saw this all unfold and The important thing that God was trying to say to them was do not take anything out of that land. Don't mix with those people. Don't take things. And in battle, usually if you defeat a place, um, you would think, I'm going to keep the spoils. God said, don't keep the spoils. Burn everything that you find there. Leave it all there. Don't take anything. Well, God told them that. And one of the guys decided to break the rules. So one of the men, his name was Achan... He saw some gold and he saw some silver. And he knew this was off limits, but he took some of the stuff. He took it back to his and he hid it under his tent. And that created a serious problem. And he's basically thinking finders keepers, losers weepers. And he kind of forgot about, he didn't forget necessarily, but he ignored God's um, command to the people. Nobody knew about this when he did this. Achan stole some things, he took some things, he hid it under his tent. He figured, you know... I may may as well gain through this whole thing. Um, It's important to understand, Achan, he knew about it, and maybe his family knew about it, but there's no indication that all these other people knew that Achan was doing that, or that there was others doing the same thing. But this man, he decided to violate this. So we get to Joshua chapter 7, and verse 2, I want to read this with you. It says that now Joshua sent men from Jericho... So they had won in Jericho. Now he's saying, let's go look at the next town, Ai, which is near Bethaven to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. Verse 3 says, when they had returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Just send two or three thousand men to take it and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So he's, he's scoping out the land. These spies go scope out the land they, and they report to Joshua, we don't need to get all worked up over this. We'll send in a small crew of, of men to defeat the people of Ai. And so verse 4 says, So about 3,000 men went up and they were routed or but they were routed by the men of Ai. Now this was a shocker because they just come from Jericho. They didn't even really fight a battle there necessarily. They did some strange things and God caused the walls to fall down and they were able to go in and, and defeat the people of Jericho. And now they try their own approach and they, they, they lose. Look at the next verse, verse five, who killed about thirty six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So they came back shaken. And they were scared to death. And They were reporting this news to Joshua and they were discouraged and they were questioning God. God, why would you do this? Why did you abandon us? We just beat the people of Jericho. Why would we lose to this smaller group of people? Then verse six, Joshua's response says, then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there until the evening. The ark of the covenant or the ark of the Lord was the ark of the covenant. That was the focal point of worship. And he's he's laying before the ark of the covenant and it says the elders of Israel did the same and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And the implication here was they were saying, God, why did you do this? Why did you do this to us? What what happened? How could you let us down? What is happening to us? And then Joshua in verse 7 says, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring... And catch this. He's, he's really pointing the finger. He's pointing a finger, not the finger, but pointing a finger at God. And he's saying, why did you... If you could capitalize that, he's really pointing at God saying, why did you... He's blaming God ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites Only to destroy us God, why did you bring us here if we were going to get whooped? If only we had been content to just stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies Verse 9 the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this It's like Joshua was trying to clue God into something. He didn't know if everyone found out that we lost this battle other people are going to hear about us. And did you plan that, God? Did you realize what would happen? And they will surround us and wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? He just continues to say, God, look at what you've done. This is an embarrassment. God, don't you feel embarrassed for all that's happened here? And then verse 10, this really key verse. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Get up, Joshua. What are you doing down on your face? He's saying, why are you praying? This isn't a time to pray. Why why are you kneeling down to pray? This is not the time to pray, Joshua. What really happened in this passage is, if you look at verse 1, verse 1 says this. It tells us what Achan did. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. The things that were supposed to be left in Jericho. Achan, the son of Carmi, The son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. He took some of the things that weren't supposed to be taken. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And look at verse 11. So when Joshua is being told to stand up and what are you doing on your face? Then verse 11, God says to him, Israel has sinned. They, and you're thinking, not they. We read this and we think, Israel didn't sin. Achan sinned. One man sinned. Why is God saying they have sinned? But they have violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. He's looking and dealing with them as an entire unit. He's saying, you're connected. He's saying, what we're doing impacts other person. And that's the first thing, really, we gain from this is, when one person is irresponsible, everybody connected to them reaps what they've sown. God dealt with them As a whole. And we talked about this last week. That you may be reaping what other people have sown. But this is what's happening in Israel. Look at how it continues. Joshua 7 verse 12 says. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run. Because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore. Unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And then he says go. Stand up. Quit praying. Stand up. The time is over to pray. It's time to do something. Consecrate the people or cleanse the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you. In these hidden things, there's some things that shouldn't be taken. They're among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. So we get a glimpse of what happens in a community or in a family or a company or a church or a nation when Someone acts irresponsibly. The whole place suffers. The whole nation now has been impacted. All of Israel is impacted because of one man's irresponsibility and his disobedience. He, he knew what he was supposed to do. He just refused to do it. And that, that really doesn't seem fair. When we think about it, But it doesn't seem fair. But our irresponsibility, since we're never isolated... It will impact, you know, it's going to impact my wife when I'm irresponsible. It's going to impact my kids when I'm irresponsible, and when you're irresponsible, it impacts me. And when I'm irresponsible, it impacts you. This is just—we're very connected. This is not a neutral thing when we choose to be irresponsible. Look at this uh, clip from the Night of the Museum, where you see the way that irresponsibility impacts a whole family.
1: I'm good.
2: I'm telling you, man, you tore it up out there today. I'm thinking the NHL is a serious possibility.
1: Yeah, I don't really want to be a hockey player anymore.
2: All right. What do you want to be? A bond trader. Bond trader?
1: Yeah, it's what Don does. He took me to his office last week. Uh
2: huh. That's cool. So what, you want to dress up in a monkey suit and tie every day? Like getting off Tom Maton robot. <laughs> Trust me, can't play hockey in the cubicle, kind of awkward.
1: Well, he's got a pretty big office.
2: That's not the point. Come on, you love hockey!
1: I still like it, but hunting is my fallback.
2: Your fallback? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're too young to have a fallback, okay, Nikki? And, 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 and also, where did you ever even hear that word?
1: Mom was talking to Don about all your different schemes.
2: She called them schemes?
1: She said it was time you found a fallback. Are you really moving again?
2: Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there's some pretty cool places out in Queens.
1: Yeah.
2: Hey. Hey, Nikki. Look at me. Look at me, man. I want to tell you something. I know that things have been kind of up and down for me lately, and that has been hard for you, but I really feel like my moment's coming, and when it does, everything's just going to come together, you know?
1: What if you're wrong and you're just an ordinary guy who should get a job?
0: So, again, it's not fair, but it's still true. Irresponsibility just impacts our relational network. Who, whoever we're connected to gets impacted. It's not fair that you've been the best husband or you've been the best wife possible, but your husband or wife was irresponsible with your money or their money or. Or they were irresponsible with their time, or, but there's this great impact. Oftentimes we, we reap this stuff for years because of what people are connected to, are involved in, or what they're doing, and, and it's never addressed. Um, we can't make progress sometimes because of irresponsibility in other people's lives. I was working, um, at a church in, in Rialto about 15 years ago when I was in college, and I was working with these teenagers, and I remember, um, just, seemed like the kids would be making some real progress in their lives. They'd be just discovering some things about who they were in Christ and what you know that God really loved them. And they'd begin to make some progress and steps forward in their faith. And then they'd go home and they'd just get beaten up emotionally. Or they'd be dealing with a lot of the irresponsibility that their parents had. And they just couldn't make any progress because, again, they were reaping what th- their family was sowing for years. Look at verse 14. Continues on, it says, in the morning, is saying, here's, here's what needs, or God's telling him, this is what needs to happen. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. We're going to find out who did this. He's saying, the tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. And verse 15, he who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord. And he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. God is saying, I'm going to show you why you guys are all suffering. Someone has been irresponsible. Someone's been disobedient. And the truth is, we cannot be tolerant of irresponsibility. There is a point in time where irresponsibility needs to be confronted and addressed. Now, we do things differently um, than what you see here. Again, God was trying to make an example in this situation. But if we just look the other way when people are irresponsible, there is no win. There is no win in that situation. Not only does that person pay who's being irresponsible, but everyone connected to them continues to pay a price. And we think, but I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be a loving person. What about the love of Jesus? Wouldn't he want me to? If you read the New Testament and you look at how confrontation is a part of our spiritual life you begin to really understand that sometimes the best thing for us to do is to address or confront irresponsibility for the sake of the person for the sake of the group because to refuse to put up or to refuse to address it will allow irresponsibility to just spread or infect an entire group entire church entire company a family there's just this infectious contagious side of irresponsibility look at some of these areas that the scripture highlights in the new testament that need to be confronted and addressed. First one is just daily responsibilities and obligations. Just quickly, I'm going to fly through these verses, but Galatians 6.5, we looked at this, it says each one of us should carry our own load. Everyone has this backpack in life that we need to haul around and carry our responsibilities. Nobody else is responsible for for carrying my load in life. I have this responsibility before God. Look at Second Thessalonians. Paul says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers... To keep away from every brother... He's talking about Christians to other Christians. Keep away from every brother who's idle, who does not live according to the teachings you've received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to make a model for you to follow... For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he will not eat. He's setting a pattern. Now, there are some exceptions to this. And thankfully, our, our country assists when we hit points of, of you know disability and unemployment. But this whole system gets abused. We find loopholes and we find ways to stay supported rather than being responsible in carrying our load in life. This is something that, as as those who follow Christ, if you've decided to follow Christ, we need to be held accountable. We need to carry and shoulder our load in life. Look at what it says in Titus 3.14. Our people, he says, must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. We were made to bear responsibility. We don't need to, to back away from responsibility. This is a good thing for us to carry our load in, a lot in life. Another area of, that the scripture highlights about really staying responsible in is, is our relationships. The way that we handle our relationships is critical. God really, he looks and he scrutinizes the way we handle and treat other people. And when things get bent out of shape, if we decide, oh, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going I'm to let these relationships just stay uh, messy and messed up. Things that I've done, I'm not ready to clear up. We don't have that option if we decide to follow Christ. God wants us to keep things clear, to have a clear conscience before people. And look at Matthew 5, 23 and 24. It says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're at church, basically, you're, you're about to worship God at church. And then you remember that your brother has something against you. It says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. There's a priority in Scripture of relationships. Over worship even. For us just to continue in, in worship and sing the songs and go through the motions without having right relationships is, is wrong. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to take this area seriously. And he wants us to hold each other accountable in this area. Look at the way this continues with divisiveness. See to it that no one, Hebrews twelve fifteen no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness within relationships or or unclear relationships that that turn into bitterness, spreads. It spreads through a family. It spreads through our friends. And so when we decide, I'm just going to let these things fester, I'm bent out of shape over this person, well, that stuff spreads, and that's not something that Scripture says we can just allow. There's a time to confront those kinds of issues. Look at Titus 3, 9, and 10. It says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. There's a lot of things that we can get sidetracked on. A lot of gray matters and talking about things that are really mysterious that can divide groups, family groups, churches. But then it says in verse 10, Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. This is talking to a church. of people who are within a church and who... They get off track because there's a division or something that happened and they, they get divided either over relationships or over a belief that really is a gray matter. It's something that God has not made clear. And they build this little group and they, they get others to, to join this group and it begins to divide a church and that does real damage. The so scripture says we deal with it very, very directly. We don't tippy-toe around those issues. And in your relationships, you need to hold each other accountable to this. When you see people going off, off track... In any relationship, and there's a pattern in that area, you need to just give them a warning. That that does that does us great good because of the harm that could come if we just let it go. And then there's this whole area of personal purity. If we're irresponsible with our purity, with our holiness, God takes that very seriously as well. Look at verse First uh, Corinthians five, verse six. Your boasting is not good. There was this there was this sexual immorality that was very, very blatant in this church. And, and the church was kind of making light of it. And he's saying, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole dough? The whole batch of dough? This is infectious. Purity issues, that spreads. Impurity issues, that spreads throughout a, throughout a congregation, throughout a family, throughout an organization. Verse 9 goes on, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he's saying, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, Or the greedy and the swindlers or or the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. He's saying, I'm not trying to be hard in judging those outside the world or or outside the church. He's saying, that's not my job to judge. But he's saying in verse 11, but now I'm writing you. He's saying, look carefully within the church. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. This is another follower of Christ. But he's sexually immoral or he's greedy. He's an idolater. He's a slanderer, He's a drunkard or swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge the outside. That's God's department to judge the world and to, to work on people's hearts, to draw them to himself, to convict them of their sin. But he said, but within the church, he says, expel the wicked man from among you. It's because irresponsibility spreads throughout a church impurity spreads throughout a church divisiveness spreads all these issues need to be confronted they will shipwreck people's lives and they will they will really do serious damage in an organization and so one of the things we get from these passages and from Joshua's is especially is you cannot turn and just ignore these issues there's not there's no win there's nothing good that can come of that so god tells Joshua get up it's time to act don't hide behind your prayers anymore You need to clean the camp. And so what they do is they send out a search party and they go looking and they find the hidden things under Achan's tent. They put it back in Jericho where it was supposed to be. They leave it where God said to leave it. And they punish Achan. And he served as an example of disobedience and his whole family. They attack Ai and they take the city Ai with no problem. And then they move on from there. But all because irresponsibility, this created this major, major problem. As a whole for them. So two key questions. And then we're done. Am I, am I hiding behind my prayers? Are you praying when you need to stand up and do something? Like God is showing you an area of, of irresponsibility. Have you been praying about it? And you're, you, know, I, I, you know, I know God wants me to handle this a different way. So I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. And I just keep praying about it. But not making any progress. Not standing up and deciding to do anything. God wants us to stand up and do something. Here's how you know if you're hiding behind your prayers. These two follow-up questions. Has God already addressed this issue in His Word? If God has already been clear about the issue that you're struggling with, you're dealing with, if He's already been clear about that in the Bible, then you don't need to pray about it anymore. He's already spoken to certain issues. If it's in one of the above areas that we looked at, those three Um, God, He already wants us to act in line with what He has said in His Word. He's not going to repeat Himself, and He's not going to change what He said. We don't have to pray about being honest. God covered that. We don't have to pray about, you know, stealing. God covered that. We don't have to pray about paying our taxes, because God covered that. We don't have to pray about, do I pay my bills? God covered that. Do I have to be faithful to my wife? God covered that. Do I have to be, uh, you know, should I have sex outside of marriage. God covered that. There's all these areas that God has already made clear. And so we should be very careful with those areas and be be clear with our intent to follow very carefully. That's the first follow-up question. But the second follow-up question to know if you're hiding behind your prayers is this. Am I trying to pray myself out of something that I've already behaved myself into? If you have substituted prayer for taking responsibility, all that means is that we're just irresponsible people who pray a lot. You know, we look really holy and prayerful, but we're being irresponsible. If we've behaved ourselves into something, we're going to have to sow ourselves out of that over a period of time. We can't just pray ourselves out and that God's going to... this This may take a while. So we need to be faithful and continue to do what God has asked us to do. If you've abused credit cards in the past and you've given nothing back to God, you've saved nothing, then the starting point is to just get back on track and do the things that God would want us to do from the very beginning. You can keep praying for a healthy dating relationship. Maybe you're dating and and, you you can keep praying for a healthy dating relationship, but until you decide to get out of the current unhealthy dating relationships and maybe go to the places where you're going to meet some people who are healthy and who share the same values, um, it's going to be really difficult for God to answer those prayers unless we will do what God has already made clear for us to do. If you want to make good grades, it's good to pray, but you need to study. You know, we, we have to do... We just have to continue to do the things that God has already made clear. We can't hide behind our prayers. The second question is this. Is there any irresponsible person in my network that I'm afraid to confront? Now... The hope is that not, you know, that not that we charge out of this building just ready to just hammer everyone. Because that's not the point of this. But if there's a pattern that you see someone really is paying a price for and you see others paying a price, you're, part of, you're a part of that. Um, you, you might sense that God is saying, hey, it's time to speak up and, and to address this issue. To le- let the person know. Uh, perhaps you have a compassionate heart. Um, but just remember, ignoring the issue is, is a lose-lose. Nobody wins in that situation. And so this is a lot. We've covered a lot of scripture and just um, dealt with a lot of areas that I think are, are pretty helpful. And it, it it takes away some of the the spiritual language and jargon that we add to this whole area of irresponsibility to just kind of cut through some of the. The phrases that we'll use to cover up over to cover over some of the things that we're not handling well. And so what I hope is that if God speaks to you about something specific that you write that down, that you think through, what do I need to do in response to what God is showing me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes forward. Father, we thank you for <clears throat> thank you for your your goodness to uh, reveal the truth to us in the in the scriptures. Father, that from this book that was written thousands of years ago, Lord, that you could communicate Directly to our hearts, directly to our real lives, with such practical issues, God. Um, thank you, God, that you've you've you know you've spoken to us in a way that's understandable, Lord, that we can that we can make sense of what you what you did back then and how that applies to us now. And God, I pray that as we looked at this irresponsibility and again just thinking through, um, not hiding behind our prayers or um, a religious cloak, Lord, but that you would want us to just continue to 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 be faithful God in the areas that you've handed to us Lord in our families in our jobs with our friends Lord uh, with our education God just the different things you've asked us to to get a grip on in life our own responsibilities God just i pray that you'd help us to just um, to continue to buckle down and, and hang tightly onto those things that are before us and to not let go of those things it's hard God i know when we're juggling all sorts of Responsibilities. It's easy to let some drop and just make excuses. But Lord, help us to completely bear what you've uh, given to us and you've asked us to manage, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone that is just sensing that there's a the need to have a tough conversation, Lord, I pray you'd give them the courage. First, give them the wisdom to know how to say what they need to say and then the courage, Lord, to do that. And um, God, we love you. Thank you for how real you are, God, that um, we can rely on you, we can count on you, God. I pray that you'd Make yourself um, known to those here that that maybe don't know you or that are still searching to find out what it really means to connect with you personally. God, I pray you continue to draw them into a real saving relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. There are some next steps. You can see it there. I'd encourage you to look those over. Maybe check one of those on the back of the connection card. And uh, as a way to hold yourself accountable to applying something that God has, has said to you. Um, in just a minute, we're going to be taking the offering, receiving the offering, and this is just, again, for us, it's a regular way for us to declare God's place in our lives, and it's it's one of those scary areas of, of obedience that where we say to God, I trust you, and um, it's, it's certainly um, something that he tests us in on a regular basis, and so for those of you who are guests, we don't want you to feel any pressure to give if you're not yet a follower of Christ, the same applies to you, but for those of you who are This really applies to those of us who are attenders and members of this church and walk with God. And so uh, we want to thank you to those of you who give faithfully here. It helps us continue to reach uh, more people. So Cody's going to lead us in two more songs. So let's continue in worship.